0: Welcome you tonight to the last part of our study on the harvest. We've studied uh, the three harvest festivals, but we're going to go over some of them just as a refresher. And just something that I want to say first of all is that um, this prophecy teaching is not the salvation message. That means we don't have to agree on when uh, the rapture is, but what we do have to agree on is what it takes to be saved And that is laid out in John and in the Acts of the Apostles. It's repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and being filled with the Spirit. So I just want to make sure that you understand that many people have for years made prophecy predictions and been wrong. And uh, that's okay. We're not making any prediction. What we're doing is giving you an understanding based upon our understanding of the Scriptures. Amen. But the key salvation message is found in John 3, 5, where Jesus uh, said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And of course, Acts two thirty eight. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And he shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Those are the core fundamental scriptures for salvation. But the Bible is full of teachings and doctrines and things for our learning and for our edification and therefore to build faith. So we're going to look at some things tonight that we have started. Uh, And how do we know that these things are true? Well, the Bible validates itself by... Fulfilling God's predictions. In Isaiah 46 verse 10 he says, Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. And in 2 Peter 1.19 the scripture says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Prophecy illuminates, it guides our steps until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So we're going to be uh, onto our last part of this, which is called the Lord of the Harvest. And it's about the last group the oil and the wine. I know in each section we've touched on them, but we each time we've taken a particular focus. We started with the first fruits, and then we went to the wheat harvest, which is the church, and now we're going to go to the tribulation saints and the righteous dead. So in Revelation 6, 6, it says, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley For a penny and see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And tonight, that's what we're going to be studying, the oil and the wine. And the question has always been, we know to be saved in the church age, we have to repent and be baptized and receive his spirit. But what about those saints that died under the law, who died fulfilling the law to the best of their ability? How do they Get resurrected. How do they go into the future? So that's what we're going to be looking at. So the Bible clearly tells us in Romans 6 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Romans 8, 10 tells us, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And Romans 8, 11 tells us, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken. That means make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So how do the righteous dead and tribulation saints get saved? Well, just to uh, go over our foundation, of course, we're told in Exodus it lays out those three special feasts or harvest festivals or appointments that God told Moses and instituted in the ceremonies as a, a forerunner of his eventual fulfillment in literal sense and in prophecy. In Exodus 23:14, he says, Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year, or moadim, feasts. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee. Now, some of these feasts overlap, and unleavened bread was one of those that overlapped. It was on the, the day after Passover, and it lasted for seven days as I commanded thee in the time appointed of the month Abib. Abib, in, in Exodus 23, 14, of course, was before the captivity, and of course the name got changed to what we know it now today to be Nisan. For in it thou shalt, camest out of Egypt, they left on the 14th the Passover, and none shall appear before me empty. God was saying on this commemoration of the Passover and of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you're going to have to bring something. And what they were going to bring was the first fruits of the barley harvest. And then the second feast that they were to commemorate was Pentecost. And it's called just here in verse 16, the Feast of the Harvest. The first fruits of thy labors which thou hast sown in the field. And then finally, the last feast of the year, the Feast of Ingathering, and which happened during the... Feast of Tabernacles as we know it today, or in the Jewish um, tongue it would be Sukkot, which is the end of the year when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of thy field. And so to sum it up, there were three harvest festivals that God wanted modeled in these ceremonies. And they're special because they denote the harvest year. And what I am bringing forth in these lessons that each of these Harvest festivals represents a resurrection, and is God's plan for redeeming each group of people. So let's look at it again in detail. So the first fruits of the barley were presented on the feast of first fruits, which was the third day, and it was in fact the day that Jesus resurrected, and it represents the Jews, the barley, um, the innocent ones, the virgins. We talked about that all the the babies that were killed of all of the house of Israel when Jesus was born. It's only fitting that through his death, those same children were resurrected. Because they were killed because of him, in other words, because Herod wanted to kill him. So it's only fitting that God chose to resurrect these innocent ones at his resurrection. And then, of course, the most important group, the the wheat, the church, the Gentiles. We were the first fruits of the wheat, the dead in Christ, the ones who uh, were able to receive the New Testament message. And then finally, the oil and the wine, the righteous dead who died under the law, and then those who uh, went through the tribulation and were willing to give their lives for Christ. Refused to take the mark and be martyred. So let's look at some of the scriptures now. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-two speaks of a, a bodily resurrection. And the graves were opened and many bodies, doesn't say souls, bodies of the saints which slept arose. And the Bible says, and went into the city and were seen of many people. They came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. No doubt this was the event that triggered triggered the Thessalonian church of thinking that the wheat harvest, the rapture of the church, had already taken place. And Paul had to tell them no. Then we have the first fruits of the wheat, which is the church. And in Matthew, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And he's definitely speaking about Pentecost, because Pentecost was the time of the wheat harvest, Matthew 13, 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Anytime it's a wheat harvest, we know that it is Pentecost. This is beautifully explained in the Old Testament in the story of Ruth. If you read it very carefully, she comes back at the time of the barley harvest. Remember, she was a Gentile... Uh, Woman, And yet she is married to Boaz or betrothed to him at the time of the wheat harvest. If you remember the story, she was told to go up and to lay at his feet. What was he doing? He was gathering in the wheat harvest. The picture is so beautifully painted in the Old Testament to give us an example of what's going to happen. And then finally, we have in Revelation 24, the end of the first resurrection defined. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls, meaning these people were dead, of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And now it says, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years and it goes on to tell us this is the first resurrection. And of course this is the scripture that confuses people because they don't understand it's a harvest year. There wasn't one harvest but there were three separate groups. The Bible brings this out in speaking about Jesus and the orders because Jesus it says in 1 Corinthians 15:20 but now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Notice it's plural. Plural. He didn't arise by himself. Revelation 14.4. Gives us who those first fruits are. For these. Are they which were not defiled with women. That means they're virgins. These are they which follow the lamb. Whithsoever he goeth. They were redeemed from among men. Being the first fruits. Unto God unto the lamb. And we. Did that whole study on who they were and how in Jeremiah it, it gives the fulfillment of the prophecy uh, of them coming back and being resurrected. Then we come to the middle group, our group, so to speak, the dead in Christ. First Thessalonians 4.13, a very uh, well-known scripture. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Because it goes on to say how God is going to resurrect us. That the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And with the voice of the archangel. Amen. And so that is the wheat harvest. And then of course, what about all the people that died? Abraham, all the patriarchs from Adam until the thief on the cross. The oil and the wine. Hebrews 11, 13, 39. An amazing scripture, it says, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. They died before the day of Pentecost, before the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon judgment was given unto them, and I saw the soul of them that were beheaded. This again is the resurrection of the righteous dead and those who uh, died during the tribulation. It speaks in the scripture about these different groups. In, in First Corinthians, of course, it says every man in his own order, Christ being the first fruits. But it's not only in the New Testament we see that. It's also in the Old Testament. When we go to the book of Daniel, uh, we see that Daniel and Job were told that they would be resurrected. Here is Job in, in chapter nineteen, twenty-five: For I know that my Redeemer liveth, And he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Now, when does that happen? When does Jesus stand at the latter day? It's at the end of the tribulation. So the righteous dead, those in the Old Testament, do not go in the rapture, but they are resurrected at the latter day when Jesus returns and stands upon the Mount of Olives. The same place. Where he ascended, the same place where he told those, um, the angel told his disciples, Why stand ye here gazing? This same Jesus shall so come again in like manner. When his feet touch the mountain, there's going to be a great resurrection. For I know, this is what Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh, he was speaking about a bodily resurrection. I shall see God. What a declaration. Whom I shall see for myself. And mine eyes shall behold and not another. Though my reins be consumed within me, the kidneys or my my inner organs be be melted away. He was speaking of a bodily resurrection. In Daniel 2, Uh, also received the revelation of the resurrection. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. He's speaking about the last three and a half years of the tribulation where the woman is uh, is being hidden, but the devil is trying to destroy her. Even to that same time and at that time that means at the end shall be delivered every one that shall be found written in the book. Here it's speaking of a resurrection, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. He's told that to just be patient, Daniel, you're go thy way, Daniel, you're going to sleep, but you're going to you're going to be in your lot. You're going to be in that lot. And he goes on to say, And from the time the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that, shall, that maketh desolate set up, and there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Approximately the three and a half years is what it's speaking about. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and thirty-fifth day. But go thy way till the end, be for thou shalt rest, now and stand in thy lot. Here it is, that concept of different categories. It says, stand in thy lot. In the New Testament it's called, stand in your own order. At the end of days. Again, this shows that the Old Testament saints, because they're not in the church, won't be in the rapture. But they will be, they will be resurrected to go into the millennium when Jesus returns. That's what Job is saying, that I will see him when he stands on the earth in the latter, latter day. So let's review the timeline one more time so that we get it fully in our minds. The cross represents Calvary and then three and a half days later, Jesus is resurrected approximately about A.D. 31. And since that time, it's been 1,900 And 92 years. But at some point, this time called the time of the Gentiles will come to an end. This church age, this age of grace, this age of the opportunity for repentance, the opportunity to know God and be in the wheat harvest will be ended. And then we'll begin the last seven years as predicted by Daniel, which is known as Jacob's Trouble or the time of Jacob's Trouble. And three and a half years into that, as we read before in Revelation 12, Satan will throw off all kinds of restrictions and be in total open rebellion. And the Bible then says in Revelation 12, there will be war in heaven. And he is cast out. So that three and a half years marks the period between uh, the beginning of the seven-year period and the end, the middle point. And it's at this last 1260 days that the woman that we read about is given wings to fly to the desert to hide and be cared for while the dragon tries to destroy her. And then at the end, Jesus returns. And with the brightness... And with the with the sword of uh, uh, that he is carrying, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, he destroys the enemy. And of course, this is the final resurrection. The three groups you're looking at right there, and it's during that last three and a half years is truly the great tribulation. So the barley harvest happened when Jesus arose. That 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel, the first fruits. Then the greatest. Part of this is going to be the wheat harvest, the Gentiles and the Jews, the rapture of the church to heaven, the bride of Christ, the only ones that actually get, go to consummate the wedding in heaven. And then at the second coming, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints and tribulation saints, that is the harvest of the oil and the wine. They are resurrected to stay on earth and go into the millennial reign of Christ. So now let's look at this in more detail. We're going to now focus on the oil and the wine. And of course, the olive oil comes from a tree. And of course, grapes come from the vine. So let's look at some of the symbolic images that God has set up for Israel, specifically the trees of Israel, the vine. The vine of which the grapes come from was one of the things that when the 12 spies were sent into Israel, they came back and said, the land... Flows with milk and honey. And they brought back a huge cluster of grapes off of a vine. And the grapes represent symbolically Israel's spiritual privileges. Psalms 80 verse 8 says this. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. It's clear it's speaking of taking... Um, Israel, the Hebrews, out of Egypt and planting them in the promised land. It says, I have thus brought a vine out of Egypt. So the vine is one of the symbolic trees that is used to represent Israel. Then also the olive, the symbol of Israel's religious privileges and status. Psalm 52 verse 8, but I am like a green olive tree. In the house of God, I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. It was the olive oil that represent, represented God's spirit and the anointing. So it is the, the, the religious pr- privileges and status of Israel that they were God's chosen. Then finally, the actual national symbol of Israel right now is the fig tree. And that, of course, shows I- Israel's secular um, choosing and, 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 and symbol because Jesus spoke about when you see the fig tree blossom He was speaking prophetically about Israel, the symbol of Israel's national privileges. Songs of Solomon verse chapter 2 verse 13 says, "The fig tree putteth forth her green figs and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Jesus' message was first to Israel because that was the promise he had made, all the way back to Abraham, that he was he was sent to the household of Israel, and he told them to accept him, but they didn't. They rejected him. So let's look now in some detail at the, these symbols of the oil and the wine. Uh, the tribulation saints will, of course, be mostly Jewish because the time of the Gentiles will have ended, and God will be and Satan will be focusing mostly on the Jews. Paul explains that in Romans eleven and. And chapter twelve he says in, in verse twenty four speaking about the fact that Israel would eventually come back to God, for if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, speaking of the Gentiles, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree. How much more shall these, which be the natural branches, he's speaking of Israel, be grafted into their own olive tree? That means come back into spiritual uh, union with God. Remember, Jesus said, "I am the vine, and you are the branches." We were grafted in, but Israel was the was the original part of the tree. And Paul is saying, "Listen, don't be uh, um, arrogant in looking down on Israel, because for now they are blinded and have not seen or recognized their Messiah." He goes on to say, For I would not, brethren, that you be ignorant about this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. We're really close to that. Jesus said that this gospel of the kingdom should be preached to all nations, and then shall the end come. We don't know exactly when that is, but we know it's pretty soon. So the two groups that make up the tribulation saints will mostly be the Jews, but also the wild olive, which are the Gentiles who missed the rapture, but recognize after the rapture that they've missed it and recognize Jesus Christ and are willing at that point to to die, to be pressed, to be crushed, to produce the oil the harvest of the oil. Then the last group are the Jews that died, the righteous dead who died up until Calvary. So those are the groups, and that's represented in the very last feast, the last feast of ingathering. Let's read it in in Revelation 14, 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud... And upon the cloud, one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and his hand, in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him, that sat on the cloud, thrust in thy sickle, and reap. For the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now remember, in Chapter 12, we had the war, which was in the middle. And we had, rejoice, O he, heavens, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Now we've moved to chapter 14, where the three and a half years is coming to the end, and there is a final reaping. Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he sat on the cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Remember, Jesus is coming back, what? On a cloud. On a cloud. So once the church is gone, Israel now will be God's light. And where do you get the light from in those days? It was from the olive oil. The light unto the Gentiles. In Genesis eight eleven, the first thing that was found after the flood, after God's judgment, was an olive leaf. And the dove came in, ...to him in the evening when Noah sent out the dove. And low in her mouth was an olive leaf. That's why it's regularly used as a symbol with the dove of peace. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. The first leaf that was picked was an olive leaf. Nothing in the Bible is there by chance. God set this symbolically up after the judgment of the flood... After the tribulation, what was picked up was the olive leaf exodus twenty seven twenty and thou shalt command the children of Israel, and they bring pure oil of olive beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always That is what romans eleven twenty four is speaking about again for if if the Gentiles were cut off. How about the Jews who are naturally from that tree? That they would be grafted into their own olive tree. Romans 11.26 And so all Israel shall be saved. What he's speaking about. The remnant that is there will be saved. As it is written there shall come out of Zion the deliverer. And shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. They're going to recognize at one point. Who it is that they crucified. And it's at that point that Jesus will return and deliver them. Again, we're going to go into that a little bit more, but I also want to show you some breadcrumbs in the Old Testament. Remember the righteous dead represent the wine, the vine. And let's look at this, because we see Joseph who was in prison, and a butler and a baker are put in prison with him, and they tell the... Tell Joseph a dream. Genesis 40, verse 9. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph, and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches. And it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. So Joseph started to give the interpretation. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee into thy place. And thou shalt deliver the cup, the wine, into his hand when thou wast his butler. Again, it's interesting about the three days because that goes back to the breadcrumb in Hosea. After two days will he revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up. The butler with the wine was going to be raised up Raised up and back and given back into Pharaoh's hand. Let's look a little bit more now. We still have this issue. How do they go into the kingdom? Because Jesus told Nicodemus, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot even see the kingdom. So we understand the church. They have been baptized. They have been filled with the Spirit. But what about... The Old Testament saints who died before Calvary. The wine. Well, let's read in Ezekiel 37 verse 9. God takes Ezekiel in a vision to a valley of dry bones. And he says, Ask him a question, can these bones live? The prophet says, only you know. Ezekiel 37, 9, what does God tell him? Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord, Come from the four winds. O breathe and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. In John 20, before Jesus went away, He breathed on the disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. What's happening in here prophetically is God was showing Ezekiel that he was going to supernaturally quicken these dead bodies, these righteous dead that had died, as it says in um, Hebrews 11.39, not having received the promise. They died before the promise came. But supernaturally, here's what's going to happen. He said to the prophet, Breathe. Thus saith the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, breathe upon these slain. Why? That they may live. Because unless that spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in your mortal body, you can't be resurrected. And even the righteous dead, they have to have that happen. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath came into them and they lived. It's a resurrection. And stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. Now notice too that it took two times. Just just like for Jesus because the first breath was when Adam was created. God breathed. It took a second breath. Here again, it's a second breath. It takes the spiritual breath. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Because God made an unconditional promise. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried, and our hope is lost, and we are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God. See, this is absolutely a resurrection. Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. That's the wine. Jeremiah 6, 9 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly glean the remnant of Israel as a vine. What he's saying, he's going to go back and pick up every, everyone that's, that was missed, in the harvest, turn back thine hand as a grape gatherer into the baskets. Mean his promise was to everyone who died a righteous death that they're not going to be left in the grave. Thou shalt not le- leave thy holy one to suffer corruption. And again, that fulfills what Paul was explaining in Romans 11:26. And so all Israel shall be saved. That's why in Jerusalem, on the Mount of Olives, there's a cemetery where you can't really get room. That's where everybody wants to be buried that is an orthodox Jew because of the prophecy. Because they know that's where Jesus is going to come back. Zechariah 13.1 God's grace and God's mercy is so powerful that even to those who rejected Him, He is showing mercy. In that day, There shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the last day. A fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That means anyone that's there who is a proselyte, that means has converted to Judaism... For sin and for uncleanness. In other words, now is the baptism. We saw the filling of the Spirit in the prophecy of of, Zechariah, of Ezekiel. Now we're seeing the baptism. There shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin. What is baptism for? For the remission of sin and for uncleanness. Zechariah in the next chapter says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. And thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is at the end of the seven years almost. And the city shall be taken. And the houses rifled. And the women ravished. And half the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Verse 3. Then then shall the Lord go forth. And fight against those nations. As when he fought in the day of battle. And verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day. Upon the Mount of Olives. Which is before Jerusalem. And on the east. And on the Mount of Olives. Shall split, shall cleave in the midst. Thereof towards the east and towards the west. See, this time is coming. These prophecies have yet to be fulfilled. But as day follows night, and as the sun rises in the morning, God's word will never fail. Because he says, heaven and earth shall pass away before my words fail. So what will be the conditions during this time? Isaiah prophesies this. In the city is left desolation. The gate is smitten with destruction. And it shall come to pass in Zechariah 13.8 that in the land saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire. It's what we're talking about, the oil and the wine. It's a crushing. It's a, it's a pressing. And we'll refine them as silver is refined. And all those who make it through the tribulation, it is going to be a trial of fire. It's going to be by being willing to die. And we'll try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. Isaiah 24, 13 speaks about this. Remember, we're talking about the oil and the wine. When thus it shall be in the midst of the land among the peoples, there shall be as the shaking of the olive tree and of the gleaning of the grapes. This is speaking about the last harvest. When the vintage is done, they shall lift up their voice, they shall sing for the majesty of the Lord, they shall cry aloud from the sea. Now, during this. Last two and a half years, remember the church, the wheat harvest is gone. Israel will be persecuted, the woman. And it's during that time that I believe the scripture speaks about these two witnesses. These two witnesses. You see, God has never left himself without a witness on the earth. When the church is gone... The angels will proclaim the gospel. The Bible speaks about having the the seal of God and the message, the gospel. And in the last three and a half years, he uses these two witnesses. Well, we know their ministry is three and a half years. Joshua 2.22 sent out some witnesses. They went into Jericho and then they escaped Jericho and their pursuers tried to kill them for three and a half days. In Joshua 2:22, and they went and came unto the mountain and abode there three days until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them not, sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. That is the message. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy. In other words, proclaim. A thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. See God has never left himself without a witness. The, the church will be gone, but Acts 14:17 says that nevertheless he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Even during this worst time, God will still have someone declaring his righteousness, declaring his truth. They shall prophesy or proclaim and their purpose is to give one last warning for those who will resist the mark of the beast and to, despite what's going on, be willing to resist the Antichrist. Revelation 15:7 says, And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. Can you imagine it's been 4,000 plus years since roughly the flood? Can you imagine and think of all the things that man has done that have been piling up? The killing of innocents, the rape, the pillage, the murder, just the total depravity that has gone on on this planet. On top of that, the fallen beings that are here. God's Wrath is going to be poured out upon this planet without measure. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out of the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. That's what's going to be happening during that time. Revelation 11, 6 speaks about what the witnesses will be able to do. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. In fact, what is happening is a repeat of what happened in Egypt. If you read the scripture properly, the plagues were not only on the Egyptians, but it was on the Egyptians and their gods. God is going to demonstrate his supreme power and sovereignty. Now, who are these witnesses? Well, many think because of the miracles, Moses was the one that turned the water to blood, Uh, Elijah was the one that shut up heaven, that these are the two that it could be. I don't know who they will be, but I will give you what I think they are. It doesn't really matter. The fact is there are going to be two witnesses appointed unto all men. Well, the truth is the Bible says in Hebrews, I believe 9, is appointed unto all men wants to die and then the judgment. Now, we know that there are two people who have never died according to Scripture thus far. And that was Enoch and Elijah. So I do believe that's who it will be because in the book of Jude, it has Enoch prophesying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Now, why would Enoch prophesy that before the flood? So it doesn't make sense that that prophecy would apply before the flood, but it certainly would be in better context if he was one of the witnesses at the time of the return Jude one fourteen, and Enoch also prophesied of these saying behold the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints he's speaking about the return well if he's one of the two witnesses in the last three and a half years that prophecy makes absolute great sense in Revelation it, it likens them as these are the two olive trees spiritual witnesses and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth Now, God always does things legally. And in this case, I believe the God of the earth it's speaking of is Satan. That when he takes this planet back, it's all going to be completely legal. He died and he said it is finished. Our debt was torn up in half. The curtain, the veil in the temple ripped in two. But in everything that is legal, you have to have some witnesses. And so God chose these two humans, Elijah And possibly Enoch to be the ones who had not died who are there to stand and witness God's legal taking back of this planet. But at the end God allows them to die so that they also can be resurrected in the oil and the wine. Because the Jews always believed in a resurrection at the last day. Let's look at some of those scriptures. John 6.39, Jesus' ministry was to the Jews. And so what he preached to them, to the Jews, was not the church message of a rapture before, but look at this. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. John 6.40, and this is the will of him that sent me, In in a modern translation... Everyone that, which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have of everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John six forty four. No man can come to me except the Father draw him, which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. John six fifty four. 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, it's interesting he says that. He said, I am that bread that came down from heaven. Symbolically, the Jews in the wilderness, they ate that bread that came down from heaven. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, this is my body. That was broken for you take eat as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. You do show forth remembrance of my death until I come. When Lazarus had died and he came finally, Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day because that was for the wine and the tribulation saints. The last day Is mostly for Israel. He appears on the last day. Zechariah 12, verse 8. When they finally realize who it was they crucified, in that day, the last day, shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God. See, it's specifically termed in, in terms of Israel. As the angel of the Lord before them, and it shall come to pass in that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Verse 10, beautiful verse. And I will pour upon the house of David. See, this is to the Jews. And upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace. In other words, he's going to fill them, those that are alive. And of supplications, and they shall look upon me, whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him, as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. When Nicodemus went to Jesus by night, Jesus told him the secret. He must be born of the water and of the spirit. Nicodemus did not understand. Jesus then said to him, you are a teacher of the law. How come you don't understand? You're a master of the law. The reason why he said that is because all of this is in the Old Testament. If Nicodemus had had revelation, he could have found it. Where is it found? Well, here's one place Ezekiel chapter 36, 24. For I will take you from among the heathen, gather you out of all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. That's baptism. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Then verse 26. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. That's the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. 1 Corinthians 10.2 Explains, and they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So to wrap this up, we're not far from some of these things being fulfilled. I feel it in my heart. We're we're within less than single digit years, I think. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, Paul says to comfort one another. For the Lord himself With these words. For the Lord is coming. We are right on the doorstep. The cry has gone out. Behold the bridegroom cometh. Just depends now. Which of the last two groups. You're going to be in. You can be in the wheat harvest. Or possibly. The oil and the wine. If I have a choice, I want to be in the wheat harvest. I want to be in the bride of Christ. I don't want to be crushed. I don't want to have to go through what those people who miss it are going to have to go through. And you don't have to. You can receive that spirit now. You can be baptized if you haven't in the name of Jesus. You can put on... His name by baptism. You can receive that quickening spirit. So just as that Jesus was raised from the dead, we too can be raised from the dead at his coming. Hallelujah. We're going to close this Bible study. And I hope you have been encouraged. The Bible says, watch. Be ready. Because in a time that you think not... That's when the Master is going to return. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. For your word, let it find good soil, let it encourage us, let it, let our zeal, hallelujah, jump, Lord God, that we, we even become more passionate of winning the lost, of making sure, Lord God, that our garment is without spot and wrinkle. Lord, lead us, surround us with your spirit, guide us every day, watch over us, keep us, Lord God, help us to be your witnesses to our families, to strangers, to all who need a touch, who need deliverance. Lord, we love you and we lift up your name and we give Give you all the praise and the glory, in Jesus' name.